1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Well, I think we have subscription fatigue, or maximum subscription fatigue has finally arrived, is probably the best way of saying it. Yesterday, everything was looking rosy and looking good. Even in the face of higher interest rates, 2.94% on the 10-year Treasury. Even in the face of Russia and Ukraine and Richard Branson, The CEO of Virgin Galactic. Well, I don't think he's the CEO of Virgin Galactic, but he's the guy who's tied towards Virgin Galactic and Virgin Records and Virgin Airwall lines. You know, the billionaire who once was, um, how shall we say, uh, ocean kite surfing with a fashion model on his back. It's one of the most, uh, I don't know, cringiest pictures. And yet it makes you smile every time you see it like that. Yeah, that's a billionaire's life. He said, stop using energy. Let's really put it to Russia by stop using energy. Therefore, we won't need their energy. Eh, it's kind of an interesting way about going about it, no? So the Nasdaq yesterday was glorious. The SP 500 was glorious. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was glorious, up between 1.4% and 2% uh, each. Uh, pretty nice day. Bitcoin's playing with 41,000, not doing much. Then again, the Nasdaq's not doing much. Both a source of speculation by many on Wall Street. Carnival Cruise Lines the boat that rocks Kathy Lee Gifford up 5% yesterday. So we were feeling pretty loving towards, oh, COVID's now falling into the flu family, which is great news. A lot of people yesterday in the science community said, okay, we've got it down to basically flu-like scenarios where, yeah, elderly and uh, weak people need flu shots to build their immunity every season. And COVID will be part of the ongoing package, it looks like. So as Carnival Cruises did well yesterday and Airbnb did well yesterday, we saw companies like Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, and BioNTech go a little bit lower because we're just going to start classifying it more flu-y. Now, again, this can all change, and I don't really know the science behind any of this. So just go with that. But that's actually a good, nice piece. And I'm going to tell you what I'm now looking at, and I don't know what you're looking at. It's June 20th. It's Weed Day. When you watch the markets today, whatever you see, wait 45 minutes to see if if it still feels that way. Kind of like after you you know partake. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um. I'm starting to look at Christmas. I know that sounds like a weird thing to you, but it's not to me. So I've started putting together research for 2022's Christmas season. In large part, if we have travel back and we have pent up demand and our supply chain should be better a little bit by then, maybe not a lot, but a little bit, let's just assume some some assumptions that will make an ass out of you and me for sure, some of these issues the inflation issue won't be that big of a story because we'll have had a whole year of inflation. The analysts, the talking heads on CNN and those kind of channels uh, are talking about what's going to happen with Russia. How do we get out of this? And some billionaires out of Russia saying, give Putin a chance to get out and saving some face and maybe it'll end. And some people are starting to say, Well, usually around this point, someone goes into his office in the middle of the night with a pistol, and bang, it's over. That's how dictators come to an end, historically. Okay, so the mask mandate is going through some turbulence. And all I'm going to say is, uh, weird. You saw videos emerging of pilots announcing the new rules mid-flight, cheers, dancing, even a rousing rendition of Throw Away Your Masks. You saw videos of grown American people singing like like it's like uh, prohibition is ended or the war is ended, and like let's start kissing the first stranger we see. People went nuts after losing their mask mandates. New York City public transit, as well as taxis and Uber and uh, taxi companies, Uber and Lyft, uh, they lifted it. Chicago public transit, Boston public transit, Los Angeles Metro. Um. Again, it's going to come down to the companies that want to keep the rules in place and uh, the, I don't want to say rogue cities, but we'll say rogue cities. Biden administration said yesterday it plans to appeal the ruling, but it was kind of a a gushing moment yesterday. It was very strange for me to see. That's the, the most I'm going to get to you at this point in time. Netflix is in free fall down over 30%. It revealed that it lost subscribers last quarter for the first time in more than 10 years. And it plans to lose a lot more, $2 million in the current quarter. Uh, you know why? Because it's beautiful outside. Go outside. Go for a walk. Sit in the sun. Kiss a girl. That's what I'm recommending people do this spring as we start to emerge from the COVID winter. So a lot of people are saying, well, I don't need this subscription. You know what? I can cancel it now and start it back up in September when I want to. When it starts getting cold outside. It's cold outside, Elvis. So the streaming company blamed competition and rampant password sharing. So guess what? Crackdown on passwords are coming. Um, Also, Netflix has to look at things like a lower subscription fee with ads embedded into it. Okay, those aren't going to really turn this all around, but it's going to help. I use my Netflix in two locations, my current home and my vacation home. I know a lot of you use it in your neighbor's home and your home or in your son's home when he's off in college in his dormitory and your home. And Netflix is going to try to say, Hey, we see that you are in two wildly different locations and we're going to charge you $3 for that second location. And if they do that to enough of people, it should uh, add up, but will it be enough? Netflix is getting crushed 30% down. When I saw that last night after the market closed and Netflix reported their numbers, I was like, you know you should start thinking about them is uh, Apple. Because someone has to get more vertical out of this. Netflix either has to get more vertical and land something like a Spotify. So it's your music and your television. Uh, Maybe Netflix ties up with a relationship with Hulu. So it's your live television with your streaming television maybe apple says you know what i we could have bought them at full price yesterday but now we can try to put in a bid at x minus 25 percent. that's a huge drop off with the heads something has to happen here <clears throat> i like the idea of super apps because i've been talking about subscription fatigue and i'm going through the process of going through bills and figuring out like <laughs> let me do this right now because you'll get a kick out of this let's do this yesterday this is, my, this is my project this weekend is to find random uh, things that we subscribe to that I don't get. Oh, so the spouse has Stitch Fix. That's over. Uh, YouTube TV. YouTube TV with 4K. There's only like 10 soccer matches with 4K streaming. So 4K is over. What well, Paramount Plus is over. I love how Disney, ESPN Plus, and Hulu in a, a package. I'm okay with that. I, I just want a super app. I want more packages. I want to feel like I'm getting a deal. But uh bad day for tech because Netflix has proven the subscription model is fatigued and Wall Street loves the subscription model.
1: Honest, straightforward, and
2: right to the point. The Rob Black Show. Let's talk a little bit more about Netflix. Today is a good day to beat it up. Today is a good day to talk a lot about it. <clears throat> Netflix has had some just amazing shows, some big time hits. And you're like, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. Oh, Bridgerton, congratulations. Squid Game, congratulations. The Money Heist, oh, that was good too. And, And you're, for lack of a better word, you're kind of proud of them. And then they've also had some stinkers. Uh, Too many. So they're going to have to figure something out, but I don't see them slowing their push into content. Not quite yet. Last quarter, Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers and and in a letter to shareholders. It projected it could lose 2 million subscribers in the current quarter. Now, something that's kind of important to note here, a lot came out of Russia. Not to the point of, we're going to say, you're forgiven, but 700,000 subscribers... Cut, had their service cut. So you see, they lost 200,000, but 700,000 due to the war. It's a weird thing to say out loud. Oh, during the wartime, we're going to ration things. Women go back to work. Rosie the Riveter. Oh, and by the way, cancel your Netflix. Do it for the American way or the Ukrainian way, I suppose, in this case. So Netflix down 28 plus percent. Company said it lost 200,000 subscribers. Gave guidance to losing another two and a half million this quarter. It expects the pain to continue. Uh, They have relatively high household penetration. It's well known. You combine it with competition that's really grown in the last two years. You see some headwinds on revenue growth. The company says it plans to monetize the estimated 100 million households that are sharing passwords to use the service. And then it'll create a lower price tier without advertisements to give more customers choice in this and how they subscribe. JP Morgan says, this is a sea change quarter for Netflix. Now, again, I kind of like that phrase, sea change quarter. In large part, I have, we kind of feel like we've seen a, a passing of the torch. Big tech, can, they can do wrong now. After years and years and years of doing no wrong, Company essentially conceded to every key point of a bear thesis, i.e., near term visibility is limited. 2022 net ads come down sharply from 16 million to 8 million. There's not much to get excited about over the next few months or beyond. JP Morgan downgraded the stock to neutral from overweight and lowered its price target to 300 from 605. Netflix has turned to Missouri, not as their next big show, but as the show me state. So says Goldman Sachs, it's not additive to downgrade the shares at current levels, as Netflix is now trading closer to a lower growth traditional media distribution content business than a disruptive high growth tech business. To improve investor sentiment via growth and or sustain free cash flow generations, we see Netflix as a multi-year show, me the money. Show me the money. Show me the story. And do you remember like last time, last year, this time we started talking about how Netflix is going to start introducing more gaming. And actually, there's a, a, a movie on right now, which is dreadfully bad on Netflix that is a choose your own adventure. And if you watch the preview roll for a couple seconds, you'll go, "Ooh, that looks awful. It looks like a horror movie where Nancy's in a restaurant and it goes cake or pie. And whatever decision she makes, that waitress is going to go get the cake or the pie. You make the decision on your remote control. And then it cuts to the next scene. Uh, If that's gaming on Netflix, I'll take a hard pass. Um, Because it's awful. The experience isn't, it's disjointed. Stifle says, much like all the good shows on Netflix, even their good growth story must come to an end. Some headwinds highlighted by management. Weaker macro inflation should prove to be transitory. The company will still need to address a number of secular issues like weighing on growth, including heightened competition, potential maturity in core markets, prevalence of password sharing. Netflix has several layers to possibly reinvigorate growth, introducing an ad-supported subscription plan and improved monetization of shared accounts. They think, and I'm talking they being Stifle thinks that both of those plans are in early development and may become more mainstream in the second half of 2023 or 2024 this is not a quick fix kind of thing I will look at it in two or three days and decide if I want to add it to my portfolio I own none I've always wanted to own it but I have to start figuring out the story and I don't mind waiting until 2023 or 2024 to get a better than market return out of an investment but right now I'm going to let the the we can sell the people that don't want to be in i gonna let the greedy people in who want to see that dead cat bounce and if it bounces and they get right out, I kind of let the cards shake out myself. Um, but I will say this. I still pay for it. And I got Ozarks coming up in 10 days or so as it pushes to the finale. Of which the, the cast... <laughs> There's one actress who... Uh, is not the love, interest. she's not the wife. She's amazing. Uh, kind of the hillbilly girl boss or the employee becoming the boss character, so to speak. She's gonna end up being the winner of it all if there's a winner, i.e., people who go to jail, losers, people who die are losers. The price of a home sold in March set a new record as inventory levels dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and sales fell. Median price of an existing home in March was $375,300, an increase of 15% from March 2021. That's the highest median price ever recorded. At the end of March, there's 950,000 homes for sale all across America. That's kind of funny to think that Elon Musk could probably buy the ball. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know why, but it's funny. Um so inventory is down 10% and that is a really big problem for real estate. Um even though mortgage costs are higher, there's no inventory. So people who have access to stocks and cash, they're going to be buying the homes, not necessarily people who are buying with a 30-year fixed mortgage. Now again, some markets are much different than others. But that's the general thought out there. And that's not healthy. It's not disastrous, but it's not healthy. I'm Rob Black, talking all things, financial money, investing, more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, or Rob Black Show.
1: Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Joining me now, Carrie Sachs. She works with EP Wealth. She's a certified financial planner, a CFP, a chartered financial analyst, a CFA. I love those designations. I used to be a registered investment advisor, which is a very, very... It's an okay designation, but the CFP, I think, is a great designation. Carrie, as you have a CFA that makes you a Chartered Financial Analyst, that's that's pretty hardcore testing that you had to go through, but it taught you a lot about investments. Talk a little bit about how you have that knowledge and how it's different from maybe, say, the average person out there.
1: Sure. It it is a pretty rigorous program. It's three. Well, when I took it, you could only take one exam a year and there were three. So you had to pass each. And if you missed, if you failed one exam, you had to wait a whole additional year. The CFP, I always describe as a broad course of study. It covers so many things. It's this huge net. The CFA goes extremely deep into security analysis, stock analysis, uh, bonds, everything, accounting, understanding company financials, income sheets, balance sheets, cash flow statements, so that you can effectively run an investment portfolio, pick stocks, pick bonds in a way that is adding value and generating alpha. So the combination of the CFA exam, the, that, that course of study, as well as I was an analyst for about 11 years and director of research at my old firm in North Carolina for four years. So that Experience combined with the studying really helped me do my job well, you know and also be able to communicate what we were doing in in clients investment portfolios and why.
2: What I like about that is I can go to a bar with you. I can go to a restaurant with you, we can talk business and I love talking stocks. and it brings a lot to the table in conversations more so than say how the 49ers or Raiders doing. Having strong knowledge of investments is great. and like you said, you're able to apply that to client portfolios from ep wealth Mm -hmm. and say okay you're being a little too conservative are you concerned you're able to talk to people um do you find being a stock picker that you get into these conversations where people want the sexiness of a stock versus an index do you find yourself now getting caught up in in that game of uh, trying to help people but not encourage them in the wrong direction
1: i do that is such a common theme i see people Love a story. And what I think a lot of folks who aren't in the investment industry don't understand is that a story is really important. It is half of security selection, but the other half is the valuation piece and understanding is the stock price, does the valuation already reflect that great story? You know, is it already overvalued? And that's why I do, after having done this for years, I do prefer passive investing in a lot of ways. You get instant diversification at a very low cost. You don't have all your eggs in one basket. You are sort of protected from being persuaded by the sexy story. You know, it's a it's a much simpler and actually oftentimes more effective strategy for reaching your financial goals.
2: I think it's a fair statement because I think the only times I've ever underperformed the stock market is when I go with individual stocks that don't work out that typically have a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. my dad died of cancer. One of the worst stock investments I ever made was a company called Cryomedical sciences, which was trying to freeze prostate cancer, which I was like, that's better than um, radiation. That's better than, you know, the poison that we're putting in people to kill cancer. And that stock killed me. So I, I've never bought another uh-huh. medical company like that, a biotech company. Um, so maybe a learning of a lesson, but back to you sort of chartered financial analyst three tests one year apart and then you decide to add the cfp to it that's a lot of testing which designation (laughs) do you like more the chartered financial analyst or the certified financial planner
1: yeah i'm a little glutton for punishment there i i have to say i'm grateful that i have the cfa but i love i actually enjoyed studying for the cfp the certified financial planning designation Because it was so practical and applicable to my own life and then my clients' lives. I mean, I remember reading the section on umbrella policies and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have an umbrella policy. Let me go get one. It was just so valuable because it really helped get my financial house in order. And I was learning in a way that directly applied to me in a beneficial way as I went. And I thought that was great.
2: Do you want to hear an odd fact about me is I can't get umbrella insurance because I work in financial media? And there's a a fear that someone will see me and hate me and kidnap my kids. And that wouldn't be covered because I'm in financial media. Talk a little bit about what an umbrella policy is, because I think that's a new one for a lot of our listeners.
1: Sure. You know, most of us have homeowners insurance, car insurance, auto insurance. And so an umbrella policy is sort of supplemental to those policies. If, for example, someone, if you owned a single family home, Uh, someone got injured on your home, tried to sue you, the home insurance is really not going to cover much of that. So the umbrella policy is that additional insurance to protect really your net worth. And they say the rule of thumb, you know, the rule of thumb is you don't want to, you want to have an umbrella policy that covers about what your net worth is. You don't want to go too much more than that, because then you're actually more attractive of a target for attorneys because you have this huge uh, insurance policy that could be a payoff for them. So that's not everyone, but, I, you know, they just say best to have it matching your net worth so that you're protected, you know, and you're not going to have to get in a situation where you're going to have to utilize those assets that you want to be using them for retirement.
2: Sounds good. Thanks for the information. It's Carrie Sachs. She's with EP Wealth. If you go to EPWealth.com, there's a lot of articles that are fantastic. They're free about women investing, about investing in the long term, investing through corrections. Carrie can talk to you. You can find her at epwealth.com. She's a chartered financial analyst, certified financial planner. She's with EP Wealth in the Bay Area. Thanks very much. It's Carrie Sachs with EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black.
1: Find us at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. I'm
2: Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. A bevy of billionaires. The inheritors of the Walton family fortune talked this week about starting their own music and art festival in Bentonville, Arkansas, as a place to go for culture in the vein of Texas and their Austin city limits or Tennessee's Monterey. The new must visit event will be known as Format, standing for music and art, for F O R music and R-A-R-T in technology. i you going to rush off to Bentonville to see the, the latest, greatest trends uh, uh, like Austin City Limits does. Blackstone has spent $13 billion on a giant stake in the student housing market. It's a little controversial. Blackstone is a big investment group. And for them to be getting into student housing, they're not doing it Uh, to be cheap they're doing it to make money they're not doing it to help the students they're doing it to make money let me know if uh, our guest shows up i'm assuming as i'm assuming as of now he is in a meeting so probably no patrick o'hare this hour maybe we can squeeze him in late segment or next segment but we will find out and we will run with it You need your Jones in for a little market commentary. We posted a a long spot yesterday at Rob Black Show on YouTube, YouTube Rob Black Show. And on that long spot, it's me and Adam Phillips from EP Wealth Strategy talking about the markets. Um, Of note, let's keep moving forward, shall we? try to figure out some of the big stories out there. The world economy is decelerating. The International Monetary Fund penned the slowdown to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, but it's still calling for a 3.6% growth for the year. In the first segment, I talked a little bit about, I'm now starting to look at Christmas because Wall Street is a discounting mechanism. It looks six months into the future. think Conan O'Brien's style, in the future, we will be buying Christmas presents yet again if we have jobs and employment's not a problem yet. Will Netflix, having suffered a big subscriber loss, cut cough, cut jobs? Probably not. <clears throat> um, but they are definitely in reset mode. Credit Suisse shared the names of tech stocks that are amongst some of the most beaten down. They came out with a list yesterday. I love lists. Now, what's interesting about it is they came out with that list before the Netflix debacle on those subscribers. And I'd be interested to see if there's any on this list that changed. They love Western Digital and they love Seagate, which is interesting because they make hard drives. And you know what hard drives are? Big old commodities. What hard drive do you have on your computer right now? I don't know. What hard drive do you have in your office computer? I don't know. Your laptop? I don't know. Very few people know the brand. They know it's one gig, two gigs, 10 trigs, whatever. On this list of beaten down tech stocks that they like, applied materials is an interesting one. It is a company that I've been looking to get into for years and years and years. It's down twenty six percent for the year. They make semiconductor equipment, so that companies can go out and make semiconductors, whether it be Apple or Taiwan Semi, or Motorola, Qualcomm, AMD, Nvidia. They don't own their own foundries. Taiwan Semi does. Taiwan Semi makes semiconductors for other companies, but they buy the equipment from Applied Materials is the idea, or KLA 10 Core. So probably this weekend, I'm going to take a look at KLA 10 Core and compare it to Applied Materials and start some research there because I would like to own a semiconductor equipment company. Not ready to pull the trigger yet, but this list helps. Also on this list is Match, the world's largest, uh, how shall we say, database of sexual diseases in America. Yes, yes, yes. It's the world's oldest joke, but they have matched and tendered and all those kind of things. But um, I don't see that business model slowing. I see young people trying to figure out love for many, many, many years to come. Thanks to Romeo and Juliet. Did you know that the summer that uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, their love adventure took place in Italy? It was rumored to be 114 degrees hot I know you're saying, wow, Shakespeare writes that. So 114 degrees, like, ooh, that's kind of sexy in a kind of way. Underage kids falling in love and death. I know you're saying, is that how you're going to sum it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Zebra Technologies, they do a lot of, um, is on the list. What I find interesting about Zebra Technologies is it's kind of a barcode technology tracking. So it's great for logistics, <clears throat> but it's also great for barcodes, which have helped the supply chain enormously. PayPal's on the list down, what, 41% for the year? It looks like it's at a rock bottom. This The charts that they gave in this list are pretty fantastic. Qualcomm's on the list of beaten down stocks. It's down 26% year to date. It's a stock I own. On a two year level, it's higher. On a one year level, it's down 26%. Lamb research could be added to my semiconductor equipment research this weekend. No promises I'll do anything, but it's out there. Um, what's very, very interesting is as this company gave charts or stock names who are beaten down Credit Suisse shared 25 tech stocks that are amongst some of the most beaten down in the market. It also gave you a chart of the year-to-date action, and you could kind of see a double bottom forming. The double bottom in tech kind of felt like it was real until Netflix dropped a bomb on the market yesterday. And you know who's next to get hit, in my opinion? I own no shares of Tesla directly, but it's tied to the S&P 500. I think Tesla. I... The same story can be told side by side, where once upon a time, there was a company with no competition who came out with a brand new innovation everyone loved. And you could say, is that Netflix or is that Tesla? It could be either. And everyone loved it and everyone bought it and accumulated market share, market share, market share. They had the whole pie to themselves. And you're like, is that Netflix or is that Tesla? And then came a young man who's going to challenge the king and is that disney plus and is that rivian or is that a, not any of the automotives ford is it gm who is it competition is coming in on both of them and the king once had the whole land for himself and it's good to be the king but when competition comes and watch out i think i'm not predicting but i will not be surprised if tesla takes it. now the thing that tesla is going in their favor is They got the best product. It's not even close. I think HBO Max is the best product compared to Netflix, but they don't have subscribers compared to Netflix. They held on to that cable uh, legacy a little bit too long while Netflix went full on. Let's let's break apart. Let's, Let's be our own thing. Let's invent streaming. So HBO Max is taking advantage of what Netflix laid the groundwork for. And if I had to pick one for the next 10 years, I'm picking HBO Max over Netflix. I know you're saying that's a big call, Rob. Yeah, but HBO Max and uh, Disney Plus all getting hit today because we're getting fatigued on subscriptions, and I get it. So Tesla has a lofty valuation, and he is uh, Michael Burry, the guy of The Big Short, has bet against the stock. He accuses Musk of selling Tesla shares last year, not to pay more taxes, but to take advantage of an inflated stock price. Musk fired back that you're a broken clock. Burry has appeared to welcome Musk's efforts to take control of Twitter, while Musk has playfully insulted Burry for shorting Tesla. The two don't seem to like each other, but I think Michael Burry, the big short guy, where he made a lot of money shorting the housing market, the housing market plays, I think that's interesting. Anyhow, and anyway, um, uh, keep moving on. I like stories like this. There's a nice piece in USA Today, and this could be you. Where I say that's a nice story. A bride goes viral for spending just forty-seven dollars on a dress for a California wedding, and she looks lovely. Those are the weird little cases, and you know, here let, let me throw it. In there. I'm bouncing all around right now. Because I was about to say, she's kind of going viral with it. Then I started thinking about viral. And I started thinking, um, Netflix has one really big unfair thing. And it's called YouTube. Last night before I went to bed, I watched the monologues of The Tonight Show and Jimmy Kimmel. Just to see if there's anything funny. Just see if there's anything haha, just To see if there's anything innovative. If there's anything edgy. And I watched them on YouTube. Didn't go to A, did it go to ABC? did it go to NBC? Didn't it go to CBS? Because they're recorded on East Coast time. I was watching them on West Coast time an hour and a half before they would be on television, but they're already on YouTube. It's Netflix has a problem. I mean, that's free and it's ads, it's free to me, but it's ad supported, or you can pay a few bucks and have the ads removed. Um But yeah, a lot's going on with competition. I think Michael Burry is more right than wrong with his ideas on Tesla being, be careful. Be very, very careful right now because they've never had competition like this before and deliveries are taking place against them. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Need a referral to Financial Planner? Find me at robblackshow.com.
1: Irreverent, over the top and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show.